We are a community that loves like Jesus, and my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you, not just today, but every time you tune in. Today, we are taking a Sunday off from our morning gatherings here in our church building, and we'll be having this online broadcast and a barbecue this evening on the church back patio for our Sabbath Sunday. So today, we are looking at the discipline of study. Now, study is one of those normal disciplines, I'll call it. I know most people know how to study because we've been trained to study from the time we were in kindergarten. Or maybe you don't know how to study because you weren't trained very well since kindergarten. Wherever you are at, maybe you know how to study, kind of. You know how to take a word and open up Wikipedia, let's say, or find out the meaning of the word in a dictionary. Well, you haven't done that in a very long time, right? So the question arises if we know how to study the Bible. Studying the Bible is a different discipline than studying biology homework. I would say that studying the Bible is crucial to character growth and learning to be more like Jesus. So first, I want to answer this question. What is the Bible? Well, the Bible is not one book, but a collection of 66 books written over a long period of time. It is a collection of writings that include poetry, prophecy, apocalyptic literature, journal letters, song lyrics, love letters, genealogical writings, historical narratives, statutory laws, parables, and proverbial wisdom literature all to be read in different ways for different contexts, meant for different kind of instructions, different teachings, different guidance, different directions, all through the inspiration in which they were written. So the Bible is a guidebook, and what many would call, including myself, the Word of God. So today I want to challenge our thinking to come outside of what we already know, quote-unquote and really dig deeper into learning more about how to learn and grow and experience and journey through this mystery, the mystery book of the Word of God. So I'm going to start with a disturbing discovery. Many of my friends in the past have made the claim that the Bible is the inspired Word of God and have made the claim that God said it, I believe it, and that's good enough for me. Well, what's disturbing about this is if you believe something, you practice something. And more often than not, I see that people that just make a blanket statement about God said it, good enough for me, don't necessarily practice what the Bible is teaching. So if, the, if I believe the Bible, then I practice the Bible. I would say that's not true for 100% of the people that I know that believe the Bible is the inspired fashion in the inspired fashion word of God. So the disturbing discovery is if we don't practice what we truly believe, then here's a fact. Our greatest sin then is our life is hypocrisy, that the Bible is not practiced in our lives, just maybe bits and pieces, here's and there's, missing out on the nature, intention, and purpose of God. Well, James 1 tells me this in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James is telling us here that if we truly follow God, if we really know the word of God and what he wants us to do and has commanded us to follow, then those actions will be put into practice with a pure faith. So my main question then is if my disturbing discovery is true and the Bible convicts me of impurity, then why do I act this way? <clears throat> why do I carry out the, the everything that God doesn't want me to carry out in my life? Well, Paul said something about that. I do the things that I do not want to do. But I would say that the reason for this is I only maybe look at the Bible as a set of information. That in ancient practice or ancient history, some things were relevant and some things weren't relevant. Maybe I'm a little more mature and I find it an maybe I find it interesting material or an interesting historical outlook of the first century or before. Or maybe I'm a stellar Bible scholar or reader and I have a checklist Bible reading plan and it's my goal to make it through the Bible in a year. Well, what I believe to be true to overcome apathy towards Scripture that I've acquired is to, is to adopt the Bible, adapt the Bible, and to practice the Bible. To adopt the Bible, to adapt the Bible, and then to practice the Bible. So it's important to learn how to do this in a God-honoring way. So how are we to read the Bible? Well, I have two examples of biblical concepts that turn out two different ways and how we don't need to read the Bible in this way. So my first example is the Sabbath. The Bible that I read teaches that Sabbath was a practice, not just in the Old Testament, but was elevated to a salvational property in the New Testament. Jesus fulfilled the law, yet living in the anxiety of society and having to do more and more and more, God commands rest, yes, and I find it, I still want to live out and yearn after rest. So Sabbath becomes a metaphor of salvation, yet I want to practice Sabbath in my life for my own mental health and spiritual well-being. Well, my second example is foot washing. Foot washing is commanded by Jesus explicitly in John 13, 14. Now that I, you, Lord, and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So in 1 Timothy 5.10, it tells us that widows and orphans who benefit from the church wash the feet of the saints. We also know that St. Augustine writes 350 years after Jesus saying that people would wash the feet of the newly baptized, that we would still wash feet. So the practice continued. Yet today we've turned this practice and ultimately foot washing is a metaphor of hospitality and a command for cleanliness that really is not necessarily contextual today, so we turn that into an act of hospitality. So the foot washing ceremony has been turned into a metaphor just like the Sabbath idea or the Sabbath practice, yet I don't yearn to sit at another person's feet and wash them. So why do I yearn for Sabbath, but I don't yearn for foot washing? What is the difference, and why did I discount one and elevate another? 
well, my actions might not follow my belief, or I've gone through the Bible and picked and chosen things, or maybe I'm reading the Bible differently out of my own desires and my own anxieties that I need to figure out how to filter the practices of the Bible and include some and not the other in a culturally relevant way. So I sell some of my possessions, and I don't sell others. The Bible says, sell all my possessions. The charismatic gifts somehow ceased or still are alive. And because I hope for a miracle or I hope that that person is, is healed or, or I tithe when I can afford it only just ever so often, or maybe we struggle with issues that are contentious and I, I can have anger towards this issue, but not over this issue. The, should we conform to science to the Bible, or the Bible to science, or is Calvinism, Arminianism, as I read the Bible, right or wrong, or both are right, or neither are right? The kind of music we listen to sometimes, we feel that God blessed this kind of music, right? God blessed the Gaithers, God blessed Hillsong, but but nirvana's from hell, right? So should we oppose war? Should we oppose the death penalty? Should women preach or not preach? There's been a lot of picking and choosing on sides of the fence that, of each of these, just the issues that I mentioned, yet depending on who we are and depending on who we hang out with, we're deemed biblically astute or biblically a heretic depending on our isolation groups or our opinion circles. So we need to learn to look behind timeless commands, choose to see timeless principles versus exacting of words and picking and choosing and downplaying and, and fighting over disagreeable or uh, non-negotiable or issues. So the reality of our Christian faith for centuries is we have done this. We've done this to, to appease groups or appease ourselves, or to side with one idea or one group and not with another. Well, I want to bring up this idea called our pipeline of logic. Our pipeline of logic, if you think about your life and your opinions and your thoughts and your mind as a pipeline, and information goes in one end of the pipeline and comes out the other end of the pipeline. And your pipeline is built over really a lifetime. And it's a lifetime of opinions. It's a lifetime of knowledge. It's a lifetime of learning. Yes, but it's also a lifetime of how you were raised, what your grandfather told you was true, what your grandmother told you was true, what your moms and dads told you were true, aunts and uncles and, and your cousins told you were true, and the college education that told you this was true or that was not true, or the opinion of the day or the news cycle you're on, all developed a pipeline of logic. And that pipeline of logic sometimes is very rigid and very firm. It is very difficult to change our pipeline of logic. And so if somebody tells you that the world is, is round, but you believe the world is flat, the information the world is round will enter your pipeline of logic and come out the other side and the world will always be flat. If you believe something is right, and your pipeline of logic tells you that it's wrong, it will go through your pipeline of logic and always come out wrong. If somebody puts in wrong, it will always come out right. The opposite, let's say, is true. It's very difficult to change our pipelines of logic. But I believe that we many times need to alter our pipelines of logic and look at the world 
with, excuse me, look at, yes, the world, but look at the Word of God with fresh eyes and a sense of openness, learning to use the Bible for transformation versus a weapon. I've had to do this in the last 10, just 10 years of my life learning how to do ministry effectively, learning how to speak the gospel effectively in a transformational way that people would actually actually like, like be in the presence of, of a preacher like me and, and actually listen to anything that I would have to say. My pipeline of logic had to be soft and think through why does this person believe what they are believing, and maybe I need to learn a new set of principles, and maybe I need to learn a new set of cultural ideas that are relevant, that makes the gospel relevant for today. Well, how are we supposed to allow the Bible to change our lives in such a way? Allow the Bible to direct our path and transform our minds how are we to do this in such disagreeable culture even today with disagreeable subjects? Well, I believe that we need to think aloud of the things that we believe. Yet we need to think very deeply and carefully about what we just think, our opinions. And then we're driven to the Bible to study in order to form what our, our, our thoughts are. And sometimes we need to be driven to our knees to pray about the things that we are very unsure about. We don't necessarily need to speak aloud of the things that we are unsure about. Sometimes we need to speak our opinions about things. But what I'm seeing today, because of our pipeline of logic, is so rigid and unchangeable a lot of times that when new information comes to us, it gets cycled through our old thinking and comes out as wrong. Well, one day Nataya called out to me, it scared me actually, Dad, there's a crane fly on the wall. And of course I was frazzled because she's yelling at me and I run to her rescue because I don't know what's going on and there's like this huge bat on the wall or something. And, and she jumps and she points, jumping, Dad, there's a crane fly on the wall. And so I focused my vision, and I scanned the wall, and all I could see was this long-legged mosquito eater. And I turned to her and said, are you talking about that? And she says, yes. I said, honey, that's, that's a mosquito eater. And she says, no, Dad, that's a crane fly. So, of course, I had to leave that conversation. I run to my phone. I look up this unknown creature, and I'll be darned. What I thought for my entire life was a just termed a mosquito eater, I didn't actually know that that was called a crane fly. So something that I thought was always true, I came to realize in that moment was called something completely different. New information that changed old thinking. Well, I sit on my back porch and I look over the green space, which is quite beautiful, and I see a lot of birds and activity from the wildlife, and many of them I know, and I'm no, no bird watcher by any means, but I enjoy watching them. I enjoy seeing like the mystery of birds, how they fly in and they eat and they, they do their thing and fly out. And every once in a while, I find a bird that I've never seen before. One that's beautiful and cool and doesn't look like it belongs anywhere in the town in which we live. And sometimes it's very abnormal. It becomes one of those, look at that moment, brand new information. So I would say that new information then fills in 
my ignorance. New information changes language and thoughts. New ideas change old thinking. New information fills in my ignorance, which also produces change. So I would say first that when we study the Bible, we are always to be on watch to look for new things, new understanding, new perspective. So just because something doesn't line up to our old way of thinking, our pipeline of logic, doesn't make that something wrong. It makes it just different. So maybe first, instead of trying to prove things wrong all the time, we need to look at what is presented to us and maybe try to prove it right first. That if we try to prove something right first, maybe we can see the beauty in it first. Maybe we can see what is right about it first and what is good about it first. And if we can't find those things in it, then maybe we then declare it wrong. So we use discernment with the new information that changes old thinking and to be innovated with brand, innovative with brand new information. So here's a several ideas that I want to help catapult our discipline of study. In 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I would say how that verse plays out in our culture today. Many, many, many people think that Christians hate. This is our reputation. Many people think that we are on the fence of judgment, criticism, and hate. Yet this verse tells us that we are to be on a defense of the reason for our hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. How did we get from gentleness, respect, and hope, and love, how did we get to those conclusions of the Christian faith to that which is hate? I think that we need to change our reputation. And first, we need to start reading the Bible and retrieving information. In 2 Timothy 3.16, every scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for showing mistakes, for correcting, and for training character, so that the person who belongs to God can be equipped to do everything that is good. So we live out the Bible today by returning to the early church and retrieving all its ideas, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how incorrect or politically incorrect people might think it is, or incorrect how people think it is, no matter what it costs us. So we picture ourselves in the first century. We attempt to feel and think like a first century person, yet not trying to salvage some first century cultural idea. There's a difference between retrieving an idea and salvaging an idea. Salvaging the idea is to try to recreate their culture, which is irrelevant. So in the pages of the New Testament are first century expressions of the gospel and church life, not permanent, timeless expressions. They were spirit inspired expressions, but they were and remain first century expressions. We aren't called to live first century lives in a 21st century, but 21st century lives as we walk in the light of the revelation of God that was given to us in the first century. And we do this by retrieving the information in the right framework. So for example, when the Bible teaches that we're not to eat meat sacrificed to idols because it's offensive, maybe we need to look at the word offensive this means that we do our lives in a manner that's unoffensive. Yet for some reason, we just kind of cancel out that verse and say, well, we don't, 
we don't eat meat sacrificed to idols, so that verse doesn't apply to me. Yet we're to act out in a way and in our own consciousness that we would actually act out in a way that's unoffensive to people and think through that and to actually act out in a way that is that people would want to be around us versus being offended by us. We're not to disregard the scripture because we don't do sacrifices. So God spoke in Moses's days in Moses's ways. God spoke in Job's days and Job's ways, David's days and David's ways. God spoke in Solomon's days and Solomon's ways. God spoke in Jeremiah's days and Jeremiah's ways. God spoke in Jesus's days in Jesus's ways, Paul's days and Paul's ways, Peter's days and Peter's ways, John's days and John's ways. And we are called to carry on that pattern in our world today. So the Bible, biblical way is the ongoing adoption of the past and adaptation to the new conditions to which I live out my life. And it's consistent and faithful to God's intention. So the next question a person may have is who gets to decide what is from the first century and how, to, and, and how does that, who gets to decide what it means for our current culture? Well, there's two ways to do this. First is through our tradition. In Ephesians 3.10, I became a servant of the gospel because of the grace that God showed me through the exercise of his power. God gave his grace to me, the least of all God's people, to preach the good news about the immeasurable riches of Christ to the Gentiles. God sent me to reveal the secret plan that had been hidden since the beginning of time by God, who created everything. God's purpose is now to show the rulers and powers in the heavens the, the many different varieties of his wisdom through the church. This was consistent with the plan he had from the beginning of time that he accomplished through Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ, we have bold and confident access to God through faith in him. So then I ask you not to become discouraged by what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So, so that scripture right there tells me that the church carries on the gospel. The church is the hands and the feet and the body of Christ. So reading through the tradition of the gospel is an important aspect of the study as well. First century followers heard, believed the words of Jesus and the apostles, and they put in practice the commands and actions that were given. So the church is an important aspect of reading the Bible. How did the church interpret this? Is it relevant the way that the church interpreted this? It, did they interpret it in a certain way for a certain time for that cultural relevance? Some things are written down for us. Some things aren't written down for us. I mean, even modern churches have written down certain things in a certain way for a reason, and some just stumbled upon a certain behavior and made it up. So I think that there's a really important discernment that some things are steeped in the tradition of the church, and some things were just kind of made up and irresponsibly put in the practice and the tradition of the church. And we need to think through and discover the why. Why did people believe what they believed? Some things seem very weird to us. Some things don't feel weird to us. Some things feel very, very on the side of hate versus love. We need to think through all of that and adopt the things that I believe speak love and the gospel of Jesus and, and steer clear and begin to change that pipeline of logic that that might seem radical to you, 
And it might seem like a huge change, but I know that if we steep ourselves in that kind of study, that love and the gospel and salvation will speak more than anything else in our lives. We also need to read with innovation. In Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So when reading with innovation, I must first look at the Bible as a story. Everyone loves a good story. I love a good story. And I love hearing stories. I love hearing, some of the most favorite stories I love hearing is when people travel the world for the first time. When they see things that I have seen and they come back with that story and I get to kind of relive um, vicariously through them when, when I saw the same things and maybe they saw something different that I didn't see. So I spend time listening to story and maybe you do too. But I love listening to stories that are put in front of me, listening for nuances and fun thoughts, and then looking for new ideas of what I listen to. So we would do ourselves a lot of good if we would just listen to the Bible. In the last week, when I've been reading the Bible, I've heard new things, new ideas, new uh, defenses of the hope that I have, new direction for some of my thinking, when we hear the words ends and we just impose a filter on what they're supposed to mean, I don't think that does the word of God justice. We need to listen with open ears and an open mind. Listening to a good story and believing with an idea of discernment and the practice of discernment in my life. Discernment is a learning gift. Some people are better at it than others. But looking at the ideas and of the world and discerning them through Scripture is how we form good opinions and good ideas. A.W. Tozer writes, Among the gifts of the Spirit, scarcely one is of gr greater practical usefulness than the gift of discernment. This gift should be highly valued and frankly sought as being almost indispensable in these critical times. This gift will enable us to distinguish the chaff from the wheat and to divide the manifestations of the flesh from the operations of the spirit. So if you see someone that is aggravated over something cultural, societal, governmental, or if you are aggravated and angry or lashing out or constantly opinionated, about cultural, societal, or governmental things. If I could be so bold to say, we are struggling with discernment. If you see someone, or if you are that someone, that, and, and I am that someone that is listening to just one set of voices, they're not willing to look outside themselves in a small group of opinionators, that's not good discernment. 1 Corinthians 2.15, those who are spiritual can evaluate all things. And I would pray that good discernment always would be in our life and answers the question of why and is done in humility. And always, 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 good discernment leads to Jesus being glorified. And that's my prayer for you as we read this mysterious and glorious book called the Bible. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you that you have given us this instruction and this guide and this 
manual of life that we can implement into our lives, use good discernment, that we can have innovation in how to interpret it and apply it to our lives. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.